Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I think one of the reasons why I have been a prolific actor is at very key moments I I did know that it's about it's about surrounding yourself with people that can raise your game that you can learn from. I can't tell you how many movies I did I did like oh my god I just okay well this is a step backwards technically but I get to be on a set with Dustin Hoffman. Okay, well, I want to learn a lot, you know. Well, I get to be around Morgan Freeman. I get to be around De Niro. Okay, just get me there. I just want to be on that set. Um, take every everything you can. Do that student film. Um, don't think that you're above anything. You're going to learn from everything you do, um, and you're only going to grow and get better from it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I just want to thank you all so much for all your support of the show. As usual, I am a broken record, but I will never stop thanking you. Got a great show today with Jeremy Pibben, part two. The guy is a wealth of information. He is so skilled at his craft and certainly a guy who has won three Emmy Awards consecutively, I would say, has figured out the skill set of acting. Before I get started, I want to let you know that if you want to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram, and I will be glad to respond to anything you ask me. And I'm very grateful for all the things that you guys sent to me. So without further ado, I normally say something that has to do with my guest. And one of the biggest things I took away from sitting down with Jeremy Piven is that this is a guy who has dedicated his life to the craft of acting from a very young age, grew up in an acting household. His parents were acting gurus and brilliant and innovators and he just grew up under that and he grew up under the work ethic and he grew up under the repetition 
and grew up knowing that he had to figure out how to take every piece of material and make it the best it possibly could be. And then just when he thought that it couldn't get any better, he'd have to work on it even more and more. A guy who really is a true family man, very close to his mom and his family who are deeply entrenched in the business. And they've spent thousands and thousands of hours together working through great material and figuring out how to get to the next level. And certainly when you think of Jeremy Piven and roles in movies like Say Anything and Heat, Kiss the Girls and The Edge of Tomorrow and one of my favorites, Very Bad Things, you have to say to yourself that this guy has done it over and over again. And then in television to be in a situation where, you know, two of your first big jobs are spending days and days and weeks on the set with Ellen DeGeneres and the late Gary Shandling. These people are geniuses. Everybody knows it. And the people that he's worked with in movies, I mean, <laughs> Pacino, Tom Cruise, the guy has worked with Robert Altman, David Mamet. He's done everything. He's figured out a way throughout his career to not only do great work, but after he did great work, being recognized for the great work. And then after being recognized by the great work, having other people recognize you. And then when it came to the role of Ari Gold to go in and take a gig that literally in the pilot was just a couple of minutes of material and treat it like it was the lead role, give it everything he had. And after he did that, what happened? Accolades, awards, credit, more and more roles. And I think that if you can figure out a way in your profession to follow the steps that Jeremy Piven followed, I think if you can figure out a way to take the kind of steps to greatness and preparation and repetition with the strength of family that you've seen here with this artist in your profession, I can guarantee you, you will have the possibility to have the kind of career that Jeremy Piven has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. In some of the movies that John Cusack was doing, did you get the call from him saying, I'm doing this movie, say anything? And there's a role here I just want you to be aware about that I think is great for you. 
So I just want you to be prepared because they're going to be calling you in for it or something. Did that happen a lot? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. We probably did like seven, eight, even nine movies together. It was incredible. And um, there were movies sometimes when I would go in and audition like Runaway Jury. And then I would tell him I would always be fun. I'd be like, hey, man, guess what? We're going to work together. So that was really cool. And it was like a surprise. And I loved working with him. Um, the very first one with Cameron Crowe, the, the brilliant and brilliant Cameron Crowe, um, that wrote Say Anything, um, that was a case where there were a bunch of roles for his friends. And he said, you guys should audition for these roles. So I got together with my buddies and, and we made a very unorthodox audition tape uh, that involved like scooters and uh, fire. Um, it was just kind of madness. It involved a, a McDonald's parking lot, you know, some illegal situations. Um, it was a very unorthodox uh, audition tape where we were all playing characters that were, you know, the various scenes from the movies. And, you know, there were scenes where we had to be drunk and having fun. And so we played these scenes out and turned it into Cameron. And I, looking back, we really we really kind of overachieved in the way that like, I think they just asked for one scene, but we did as many as possible and we all got cast, you know, and we, listen, we, we, we were all hanging out together. We had a theater company. We were all really good friends. So we were, we were, I think a pretty good choice to play this guy's friends. You know, it certainly didn't hurt that, that he was the lead in the movie. Of course. Do you think if John were sitting here, and I were to ask him, what kind of actor is Jeremy Piven? Do you think he'd say he's a journeyman actor? I have no idea. I don't have a clue. But by the way, what I mean by that is, and I and I I'm 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 honored to be one. I really am. I think that you know I'm not in a position of power. Um, I'm I go from one job to the next. You know what I mean. And I'm not beyond auditioning and taking smaller roles and making something, you know, that's, that's how I really made my bones was, was taking these scraps and making a meal out of it. And you have to, and one thing I will say to any actor starting out is one great trick is take these tiny roles and pretend that they're the lead. If they're the lead in the movie, you give it all the love and attention and dimension and integrity and everything you got as if they are the lead. And let's say you have one line, write out some monologues, write them out, think about them, have them in your back pocket, be ready to improvise. And that's all I did. You know, there were awkward moments where I kept talking and they were like, what, this guy, he's, why is he still talking? And then it made it in the movie. And usually what would happen is I would, they, it would be a little awkward and then they would watch dailies and go, okay, yeah, we do need a little comedy here. That's great. And then I'd get a call saying, Hey man, do you want to, do you mind being in a couple more scenes? And it was just living. That's how it happened. And you're suddenly that one scene turns into three and then you got a nice little role in the movie. And that was my entire career. I've never been any one type. I don't look any particular age. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not classically uh, good looking or ugly when you look in the mirror in the morning yeah you don't see a good looking person I, it's just that guy again really this guy like my dog Bubba I just love him too much he looks at me and he's like really 
I'm on my hands and knees. You know, I got to play hard to get with my own dog because, <laughs> you know, he just doesn't care about me. Um, I don't know what I see. You know, I'm incredibly vain. So and, you know, growing older isn't easy. So I try to, you know, I try to be like you're 25 years old. I, I, I'm 25 years old times two. You look like you're 25 That's years old. That's very sweet of you. You don't have a wrinkle on your face. Wow. You're... Meanwhile, my face could hold a five-day rain. No, I was just thinking that actually you're kind of this weird shellacked. I don't know what you are. <laughs> you know, I mean, like you you could be in any decade, you know. you. Uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, and, and you're, you're, you know, I, I think, listen, I got very lucky. I got some, I got some OK Jew jeans from, from my mama, and I think... I think right now, to be honest with you, I think the variable with me is with stand up. I'm I'm so in awe of it, and I'm I'm I have so much respect, and I'm a student, and I I really believe this, and it's going to sound insane, but because I'm on the road, and because I go to these with the equivalent of an open mic, and because I'm a rookie, learning and taking it all in, I think my cells and my body thinks that that I'm a student. I swear to God, in some weird way, people are like, why are you looking so young? It's not like I'm, I don't do fillers or collagen or whatever. I'm just trying to learn this incredible art form and do it the best I can. And I think my body is responding like a student. Tell our audience the comedians who have passed away who you would put on the top of the mountain and the comedians that are alive and working today that you would put on the top of the mountain inspire you? Well, I mean, obviously Lenny Bruce was a guy that, I mean, we can't even imagine what that guy was walking through and that he spent his life trying to represent himself and, and you know, everything that he fought for, we get to live, you know? I mean, stand-up is, is the last arena where you can embrace your freedom of speech, you know? I mean, you're the writer and the star and the editor and the producer and you're everything. And it's because of guys like Lenny Bruce who fought to, to, to embrace his freedom of speech. And he didn't have an easy life. And he was a genius. And God bless him. George Carlin was incredible. I mean, Richard Pryor, you know, his, he transformed the entire, he was like the Marlon Brando of stand-up. You know, he's doing bits and exploring them and didn't care how long they took. He was just he was like a brilliant actor slash stand up where I mean, obviously he was a stand up. Um, but what he was doing was so, so performance based at times where he would enter into that scene as a fawn, you know, drinking water uh, as a junkie uh, experiencing heroin you know so he was that was fascinating um dave Chappelle, right now there's really no one braver um or he's just one of these guys who i mean it's like a, it's it truly is his superpower he just he is what every stand-up could and should be um in the way that he is in that space where he's not monitoring himself he's not living in fear and he's speaking the truth as he knows it and because he's logged those hours, um, you know, don't, don't get it twisted. Yeah, that guy is getting compensated, but he's not slacking. You know, um, he's he's grinding uh, on that mic for hours and hours and hours and hours. And that's why, you know, uh, he is that's why he is what he is right now. And he's just insanely inspiring to me uh, in, in every way, shape or form and taking on issues that a lot of men don't and speaking the truth as he knows it. Mm -hmm. So your 
one of the people who's been deeply affected by the Me Too movement. Yet what's fascinating to me is, and I know you always wanted to do stand-up because you used to come to the Dane Cook shows and ask yeah. me about it, but it's fascinating to me that now you're going on stage in the only safe job to say whatever you want and do whatever you want in the world. And I wanted to ask you, based on what you're going through, do you still feel as safe as other comics like Jim Jeffries when they go up there and do the kind of comedy he does? Or do you still feel like, shit, it's really affected me, and when I go up here, I have to monitor myself too? Well, let me give you an example, and maybe you can give me your feedback, because you know a lot more than I do about this. Um, I was so honored to to host uh, an event that raised money for domestic violence recently. And um, Face to Face does, is an incredible charity. We raised you know half a million dollars the other night. And they asked me to do my set. Now, I'm such a dummy. They didn't ask me to do a clean set. Um, and the, the, the great people that run it said, we just need you to make these guys laugh. And I got out there and I tried to test the temperature of the crowd. And I you know, started off by saying, you guys just have to, for one second, celebrate yourself for just being here. And I couldn't really get their attention, you know, and they were, it's a big room and I was up first and, and, you know, it was, it, I, I launched into, uh, my set and I started getting to the point where I'm running lines with my mother. And so I was doing a few lines from Entourage and, you know, they were some, some interesting, colorful language and whatnot. And suddenly uh, a paper came out and said that I completely offended an entire room of domestic violence victims. And they took my set out of context. And I looked, you know, I looked at the, um, at the, the people that were running the event in the front row and I said, are you guys sure? Should I keep going? They're like, yes, yes, yes. And I go, really? Are you sure you want me to go deeper? They go, go deeper. Then they said, you know, Jeremy then uh, made this sexual comment about going deeper, you know, and this is all I'm trying to do is, is raise money for domestic violence. Okay. And, you know, so I, I don't exactly know how to answer your question because um, the Jim Jeffries of the world and the Bill Burrs and, and obviously the, there are a lot of guys out there that that are speaking their truth and the gloves are off and they're doing their thing. And that's not really the case with me yet um, because, as you know, anything can be taken out of context, you know. So uh, this is uncharted territory for me, you know, for all of us. You know, we've never lived in a time where we can navigate trial by Twitter. We've never abandoned due process. It's never been so black and white. You know, it's never been so easy to take a man down. Any one of these statements that I just said just now can be pulled and taken and used against me. Why can't the president be brought down? I mean, the president has well, been accused of probably a thousand times more things than you or anybody else has. Why does he not get taken down? Well, I think because of that frustration, um, you have and and legitimate frustration. That's, that's you know it's incredibly frustrating. You know, 
it's really important that this movement happened. It had to happen. And, you know, it's, it's incredible that it did. And it's, I, I think it's brought about real change because I think there were people out there misusing their power and we know about these people and these people are going to, are going to court and they are going to have that day in court and they need to be dealt with. And, um, so it's, it's a very important time. You know, I, in, in my particular case, um, as one of my agents even said to me, they said, you know, you're an easy target. Um, I think when you're in people's living rooms and you're playing a very abrasive, powerful character, you know, that, and you play them authentically, there can be some confusion. And, um, so I, I was, you know, it was, how can I even describe the way it felt? I, I felt like, um, I can't even find words. It's hard to find words, you know, to describe. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I, what, what that feels like when you don't understand what's going on, you, you're being of, uh, accused of things in, in the, my only way to deal and to walk through my truth was to immediately take a polygraph. And, you know, we're living in times where everyone's frozen in fear. You know, we don't know what to do next. And we need to honor these victims, you know, the, the, the real victims out there. And in my particular case, um, I know my truth and that's why I took the polygraph and I wanted to get it out there. And those type of things don't really get traction. It's just not the nature of where we're at right now. And I, listen, I don't know how to go about talking about this because we're living in a time where, you know, I, to be honest with you, every, everything that you say, you have to really think about, because as I said, things can be taken out of context. They really can. Um, but when I, yeah, I am touring the country. Uh, I'm incredibly lucky that everyone's showing up and I'm doing meet and greets afterwards and, and meeting all these people. And, you know, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, I'm so grateful for it. Um, if I was on a set, I wouldn't be able to meet people. And I get to tour around the country, and I'm, I'm living in my truth. If you see me on stage, I, I, I'm, I'm not, why would I hide? Why? You know, um, and so I, 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 get to, I get to meet face to face and be in the same room as all these, uh, as all these people and, and, and experience people that I've, I've been lucky enough to entertain and hear their stories 
And it's been great. It's been really great. Six degrees of separation. Six yeah. degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. I want you to tell me what comes to mind. It could okay. be a word, a sentence. It could be a story. It could be okay. anything. Gary Shandling. Mensch, artist, tortured, genius, uh, lesson to all of us. Um, I mean, you have to understand, right out of college, I I went into audition for this guy, to, you know, to play the head writer on the Larry Sanders show, and he, you know, they, they couldn't make a decision um, between me and, and Wally Langham, and so they just gave the role to both of us, and then every week they would just split the lines up, and we would kind of jump in and have fun, and... He was so gracious to us and obviously gone before his time. And just I was just incredibly lucky to have witnessed that in him and his and his beautiful, powerful energy. Al Pacino. That guy is a tireless artist. Um I was we're in a hotel room right now. I, I did a movie with him in which we were all on the floor, the th he and I and, and Matthew McConaughey, and we were rehearsing the scene and the director said, you guys, there's gonna be a, the money guy that comes into the room. He's just gonna walk into the room and just don't, let, I don't want it to stop the momentum of the rehearsal, um, but just keep going. We said, great. So, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Al Pacino and I was, uh, he was playing my boss and the director said, okay, Jeremy, you and Al just start improvising. Al, I want you to fire Jeremy. And, uh, you know, he, he goes, you're fired. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just going, you can't fire me. Do you know, you know, you can't fire me. He goes, one Mississippi. All of a sudden you hear cut, cut. Well, someone's yelling cut. We're rehearsing in a hotel room. Who's yelling cut. And we look over and there's the, the money guys go, come on, Al. Come on, man. You, you're the alpha man here, baby. You, you was that one Mississippi two Miss. Come on, man. That's bullshit, man. That ain't you. Ain't that guy? Come on, man. You have all the power, baby. And all I can think about is Al is going to get up and leave, and he doesn't need to do this movie. And you know, he's one of the most prolific guys in the game, and he he's either doing a play or you know, he just doesn't stop. He's like he's this childlike energy. Um, and I just thought, oh my God, we've, I've blown my chance to work with Al Pacino now. And I just remember he got up, he was basically treated like someone in an acting 101 class that was someone's cousin that got lucky enough to be in the room. That's literally the way Al Pacino was, was treated in that moment. And he went to the bathroom and I could just hear him quietly breathing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and taking the moment just to, con just to kind of be you know, hoo-ha, <laughs> you know, he, he, I think he had some prayer beads in there. I heard some beads going, you know, and, um, and McConaughey is, we're just kind of, I believe he was shirtless. It was the shirtless time. He had a bandana on. It was that, it was that run just before, um, Dallas Buyers Club. And, uh, we're just all on the floor waiting for Al to come back. And Al comes back in the room, very calm. And he walks over to this gentleman and, uh, you know, because the guy said, come on, Al, you're the alpha male. Come on, dude, stop that bullshit, man. And Al went over to him and he goes, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Thank you very much, though. Thank you. And um, he came back in and we continued rehearsing. And I just never forgot that because 
you know, we're all at our worst. We can be reactive and we can be offended. And if Al Pacino can't be offended, like to the point where like anyone else would have, you know, really lost it. And Al held it together, came back in, sat on the floor with us and kept rehearsing. It's just a, a lesson for me, you know. No one is immune to that type of behavior. So it was a, that was a real gift. David Mamet. Uh, I remember he and my father were very close. And my father cast him as an actor back in the day. And um, David Mamet is one of the most brilliant and prolific Amer American playwrights of all time. And he used to win so many awards in Chicago that my father would go and accept them for him. So we kept piling up these kind of Jewish superhero awards for David Mamet, you know, just keep them warm for him. And, uh, and you know, he's, he's a hero to so many actors, have, has written, uh, you know, and will continue to write so many, so many brilliant plays. And he's a real, he's like Joe Rogan. He's exactly who he is. Very opinionated, you know, uh, just a total maverick. Ellen DeGeneres. I, I think that if you ask any comic, they'll tell you that she's a comics comic and a real genius. Um, I was lucky enough to do her sitcom when she came out. She... She was incredibly brave, came out, you know, came out of the closet on, you know, in her sitcom and, and changed the game. And I just think that, you know, she's incredibly loved as she should be. Common. There is a great example, I think, for kids coming up. Here's a guy I work with in Smoke and Aces, and he had come from this incredibly prolific career that he still has, obviously, as a hip hop artist. And um, we're both Chicago guys. And I took him under my wing and there was absolutely no ego whatsoever. He just wanted to learn the craft of acting and he was like a sponge. And I'm so incredibly proud of that guy. He is not only acting, producing, winning Oscars. I mean, that the energy of that guy is, is just infectious. I just couldn't be more proud. And on that note, I just have to say that, you know, there's a predominant feeling right now with some people that we're not enough. And I think that, and this is going to sound so incredibly pretentious and forgive me for a second, but you know, I, I think I remember someone said to me while, while Cusack and I were friends, they said, Hey man, are you jealous of him? I go, no, are you kidding? He's crushing it. And they're like, you don't want those roles. I said, yeah, I guess I would love those roles. And he goes, and you're not, you're not jealous. I go, no, 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 no. He's winning. It's great. And I think that it's okay to be happy for your friends and for anyone. There's enough for all of us. There really is. There's enough for all of us. You know what I mean? Someone else's success will not take away from your own in any way, shape or form. So when I see guys like common, it just, it just makes me so happy. Reconstructionism. Well, I, my rabbi, who is my, for my bar mitzvah, is still my rabbi to this day, Artie Rockwes, and um, he basically said to me, um, 
during my bar mitzvah. I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think you're going to make it, my brother. <laughs> I said, why? He goes, you're, ter- you're, te- you're a terrible bar mitzvah. I mean, he was a little more kind, but the Hebrew is so hard, learning those tunes for your Haftorah portion. So he said, can you rap? I heard you can rap. Can you rap your Haftorah portion? <laughs> and I was like, is that even legal in Judaism? But by the way, if you, when he said, I don't think you're going to make it, what does that mean? That like, I don't get to be a man. I don't get to be a Jew. I'm like in Peter Pan purgatory. I don't get to eat bagels. I don't get to have a Jew for What is it? So he said, wrap your Haftorah portion, get through it. And so I was like, Rabotan Ivarei Yehishim Adonai Me'arach Me'atavi Adolam Till the sweat runs off my balls. And uh, it was not pretty. It didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. No, I didn't say that at the end. I didn't at all. Um, at my bar mitzvah, because I grew up in this incredibly integrated school, you know, um, no one had been to a bar mitzvah before, so they didn't know what to do with the yarmulkes. They were throwing them <laughs> as frisbees. They literally were putting them, they're using them as pocket squares. No one, no one had been to a bar mitzvah. Will Farrell, Just a real humble, gentle giant who's just a really down-to-earth, sweet guy who just happens to be a genius, comedic genius, you know? So it's it's a really fascinating duality where you just get the sense that he just doesn't he's just a really decent person who just happens to to be one of the best if not the best in the game. Jackie Chan. Uh Jackie Chan is a world-class performer, martial artist whose background is um, at the Peking Opera, that's where he started, um, and he's also talk about ageless. That guy has to be almost sixty years old, still doing his own stunts, and he is the Elvis Presley of Hong Kong, the player. Uh, I went into audition for the player. So, someone said to me, "Well, think about it. the player was one hundred and sixteen years ago. This is where you really get to understand my age." Um, But I went into audition for Robert Altman and I remember um, I said, uh, I'm here for uh, it's Jeremy Piven here for my audition. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Robert's not here. Uh, Can you please come back? Can you come back on Tuesday? And I was like, "Um, isn't that him right there? And I looked and he was and and he was just sitting there sleeping. And I was like, that's him right there. You know, and um, I go, hey, Bob, I don't know, Bob. I'm a kid. I'm, you know, Robert Altman is, a, is a, you know, I was so dumb. You know, he directed Nashville. I mean, he's just an incredibly prolific genius. And he's like, hey. I'm like, hey, Bob, I'm here to audition. He goes, come on in. He doesn't know me. He's never heard of me. I've never done anything. And so we start talking and he throws me a couple of ideas about improvising. And then he could see I was an improviser. And I got lucky and I got the job. And then in the first un, you know, uninterrupted 17-minute take of the first scene, he puts me in the middle of it where I just have to have this group of uh, Japanese tourists that I'm guiding across the parking lot. And by the way, at the last second, after spending an entire 12, 14-hour day rehearsing that scene with the camera moves, the next day we shoot it. And then at the last second, he switches me with someone and goes, you go in here. I want you to change it with, with these people and just make something up and just kind of throws this at me. And it was so empowering that a guy like that even trusted me. You know what I mean? That was just incredible. And uh, God rest his soul. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one of the most incredible times of my life. And just being around all those 
uh, uh, the person, by the way, that he switched me with was Buck Henry, who was pitching an idea. And then at the last second, they kind of switched the two of us. So that was very empowering. Charlie Sheen. Uh, the first movie I ever did, Lucas, when I was when we were 18 years old. That's when the circus came to town. I did it with, with Charlie. And uh, I'll never forget, I was on the set, and I just I couldn't believe my luck. I, I'm getting paid to act for the first time in my life. I'm making a movie, and I'm with Charlie Sheen, the son of Martin Sheen. Uh, Apocalypse Now was my favorite movie in the world. And it was just... It was incredible that any of it happened, you know? And he said, dude, the only way that I'm going to make it through this movie... Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Every dude is if I have a 12 pack and a big fan, dibby dibby do. <laughs> and the director came by and said, uh, Charlie, we're going to get on that uh, 12 pack and that, uh, that dooby dooby do for you. And he goes, dude, I totally forgot that I was mic'd. Dude, that was horrible. It's awkward, dude. Totally awkward. Ari Emanuel. Ari Emanuel is uh, an unstoppable force. Um, that was absolutely the the muse for the character Ari Gold, and um, he's just a, an incredible businessman that um, is insanely prolific and unstoppable. Robert De Niro. Um, I think very recently he's been incredibly outspoken about and unflinching, unflinchingly so about his political views and it he's someone that could easily disappear um but i think you know it's fascinating because i spent a lot of time in the uk and you have no idea how many people that guy influenced and if you hear any brit's new york accent it's absolutely 1000 percent them doing de niro he is hands down their greatest hero he and he and uh, sam jackson are one and two to all british male actors adam mckay wow McKay is a, a brilliant husband to my sister Shira, father to Pearl and Lily Rose, my brother-in-law, and a, a shining example of. I mean, he's so he's it's so hard for him to take compliments. It's really hard for him, and I tried, and I kind of gave up because he just doesn't know what to do with it. And he, he's he's 
he's genuinely humble. He really is. He didn't set out to win the Oscar. But think about it. A guy had a track record in comedy like no other. You know what I mean? Five movies in a row that are just comedy classics. You know, Talladega Night, Step Brothers, the other guys, uh, Anchorman, you know, um, and every one of them incredibly successful. And then starts to do, you know, his agent said to him, you know, what do you really want to do? And he said, I just read the big short and I want to, I want to adapt it. And I want to let people know what really went on with this housing crisis. Not only does he do it, but he infuses his take on it all, makes it funny and accessible. It could have been a very dry dissertation, but in his hands, he elevated. It's incredible. And I'm sure he's going to do it with Dick Cheney right now with Christian Bale. Um, and yeah, he's he's uh, he's a, a lesson. I'm just very glad that we have him. One of my favorite movies of all time. Very bad things. Very bad things, indeed. Yes, yes. Uh, the great Pete Berg. Peter Berg is very um, underrated. I think Pete is is pretty incredible. Um, that movie. If you watch that movie. It explores and heightens bad karma. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it just keeps getting worse. And it's a dark, dark comedy. And unfortunately, it came out at a time when the studio was going under and they released it on Thanksgiving Day. You know, it's the darkest movie of the past four decades and it was released on Thanksgiving Day. Um, you, you look at that cast is incredible and... John Favreau, who was still acting at the time, crushes it. Cameron Diaz, Christian Slater, myself, you know, it goes on and on and on. Jeannie Triplehorn. And um, that was one of those cases where um, I I knew Pete. I was friends with his wife. Uh, Pete was, uh, you know, a, a very good actor that ended up being a great director. And what Pete does more than anyone is he figures out a way to get the best if you look at like, look at The Rock in the rundown with Pete, arguably his best performance. Pete knows how to set an atmosphere on set that I think he always wished he had as an actor where people feel really comfortable to do their best work. And that's what he gets out of them. And that movie was incredible to do and uh, is one of these kind of cult classics. Chris Tucker. Dude, I'm blessed. <laughs> Dude, I'm blessed. I need something for the long silk and something in the kids department for my partner. That was his first line to me in um, in Rush Hour 2. I played the the Versace salesman. Um, I, I was offered the role, to, and the role had one line, may I help you? And this was the first 40 movies of my life, and that's how it happened. And um, I said, yes, of course, scale plus 10. I was honored to do it. And like I said earlier, I, I wrote out monologues and had a bunch of things and and then just kind of went with it and had a blast. I put this this scene on stage with me because selfishly, to be honest with you, I like to remind people of, you know, the fact that I played a bunch of different types of roles. I played this incredibly effeminate character um, and I had the time of my life and Chris, anything Chris says is funny, obviously. Um, and he was, he was, he's this great stand up. And uh, so, yeah, he was a, just a, a, a pleasure to be around and, uh, you know, just an incredibly fun, loving guy. And for those of you out there, scale plus 10, if you don't know, 
is just the lowest it's minimum wage <laughs> out there for an actor, and mm -hmm. they give plus 10, and that plus 10 is what you give your agent or right. if your manager is working with you only at the time. Jerry Seinfeld. He's one of these guys, I could never even do what he does. His, uh, his comedy is so observational and specific. It's like science. And, and he, he's a mad scientist. And he doesn't need to be this hungry. He doesn't need to be this prolific. You know what I mean? And he's out there doing it. And um, I'll tell you a funny story. I was uh, on the Larry Sanders show. Um, and I happened to be walking across the lot, lot at CBS Radford where we all shot. And um, Mark Hirschfeld, who was... Um, it was one casting of the greatest Seinfeld. casting directors in the world and has also been a guest on this show. He was casting Seinfeld. I was living in the pool house. I didn't have a TV. And this is what I'm about to say is very sacrilegious. So I had never seen Seinfeld. I'd never seen the show. Um, and he came up to me and he said, would you like to audition to play George Costanza in the um, kind of hour finale where they write a pilot about their lives? And I'm an actor. I've never turned down an audition in my life. I'm like, I was so excited. You know, even though I was on a show, I was a series regular. And I said, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And gave me the sides. And I thought, oh, my God, I haven't. I'm supposed to play this George Costanza character. I've never seen the show. But I had run into uh, Jason Alexander quite a few times, who was just, just, a, just a very intelligent, cool, sweet, amazing, accessible guy. Very specific guy. So I went in there for the audition and did my impersonation of, of what I thought, he, how he was playing the role based on the fact that I'd spent some time with him. I'd never seen Seinfeld. And I did my audition and they said, oh my God, it's, you're, you, God, you must be such a huge fan of the show. And I said, yeah, absolutely I am. And, um, and I got the role and they were, I think it was the best way to do that show because I didn't, I, I had no real reference for pop culture. I was just, so I don't know. I was just a weird caveman. Um, I knew they were the Beatles. I knew, you know, the show I was on, the Larry Sanders show, I think the insiders really liked and respected that show. Obviously, Gary's a genius. Uh, and the rest of the world was in love with Seinfeld. And so I knew I was, you know, visiting the Beatles. Um, but they were all just very, very sweet to me and kind. And uh, I'll never forget that. And I run into him once in a while. And he's just a very, very sweet, kind individual. And, um, and a lesson to all of us because he's continuing to do it and he doesn't need to. Awesome. The cast, the entourage. We all were so incredibly different, all of us. Um, we, we, we come from, from different backgrounds. And um, it's interesting because Kevin Connolly has gone on to be incredibly prolific as a director. And um, what people don't know about Connolly is his best friend is DiCaprio. So, like, you were getting a guy playing E who authentically was living that life. So, as an actor, if I just use the givens, like, I'm looking at E, I'm looking at Connolly, and I don't have to look too far for inspiration. You know what I mean? Like, you have to use also, yeah, what's in the script, but also what's, what's being given to you. You know what I mean? Kevin Dillon, um, another guy that lives, lives up in Malibu, uh, is this, uh, you know, his brother is Matt Dillon. You know, I, I, I don't know how premeditated that was with Steve Levinson and, and Doug Allen, but I just think 
on all fronts, I just think they did a brilliant job casting it. You know, and I think when people say like, I can't imagine anyone else in those roles, that's when you know you, you're on something. Your proudest moment in show business. Um, proudest moment in show business. That's a great, great question. I don't, I think anytime you're working, it's a proud moment because, you know, as I said, I come from, I come from a family of actors, of stage actors. And, you know, my father was looking for a role his whole life, you know, uh, until the very end. My father knew he uh, had cancer. And the next thing he did when he found out is he taught his Monday night class. He wanted to teach his, his, and he was playing King Lear at the time. So, you know, that's the stock that I come from. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Um, I think I'm experiencing it right now. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's the most surreal time ever. And I think, you know, when you're lucky enough to have a family like I do, I come from, you know, my mother, who was just uh, this incredibly self-empowered woman and my sister as well. I've had such great examples of powerful women in my life um, that I've gotten to learn from. And um, so I've had to kind of, unbeknownst to me, I'll give you a quick example. Um, last year, I was shooting this show, Wisdom of the Crowd for CBS. And I would get up after a day of work and I would do a set at like the improv. And I remember after a 14 hour day, I'm going, why, why am I doing stand up right now? Like I have lines to learn. I don't understand what's going on. And I think I was setting myself up for this journey that I'm on unbeknownst to me. You know what I mean? So I think this is an incredibly challenging time and I'm very, very grateful for it because that's how we grow. I know it's a horrible cliche, but this is how we grow. And, um, so I'm walking through it right now and I look forward to seeing you again and, and talking further down the line about this journey. Um, I, but I do really think it's about what, about as we, as we began this whole conversation, um, you know, you're doing something you didn't know you could do. I'm doing something that I valued and thought was incredible, but I didn't know that I could do. And I think we, we need to all do that more often. And, and I think right now we're being guided by fear and it's certainly in the business. Everyone's operating from fear. And, um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's important that we drop that and, and try to figure out a way to be good to each other and kind to each other. And there's nothing wrong with helping each other, um, being proud of other people and taking a beat instead of going dark and talking badly about someone, take a beat, see what happens. Your energy changes, your vibration changes. You know what I mean? Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up? And wherever they're growing up, they don't really know what's happening, but how they get what they want through the kind of life and the kind of experiences that you've had. And how do you think 
your words could help them get to the next level and have the kind of career that you're having? Well, I think I think one of the reasons why I have been a prolific actor is at very key moments I I did know that it's about it's about surrounding yourself with people that can raise your game that you can learn from. I can't tell you how many movies I did I did like oh my god I just okay well this is a step backwards technically but I get to be on a set with Dustin Hoffman. Okay, well, I want to learn a lot, you know. Wow, I get to be around Morgan Freeman. I get to be around De Niro. Okay, just get me there. I just want to be on that set. Um, take every everything you can. Do that student film. Um, don't think that you're above anything. You're going to learn from everything you do. Um, and you're only going to grow and get better from it. Um, and ask questions all the time. I mean, that's what I'm doing with stand-up right now. I'm just, you know, people have been so gracious with me. I'm just so curious. And, you know, um, you never really regret that. So just, um, you know, know that, like, not don't get ahead of yourself. Um, fear and desperation will just bring you down. And I think when I made a breakthrough, I remember when I made a breakthrough from auditioning and not getting them. And I, I remember hearing a little bit about this on one of your podcasts, but so it's been, it's been hard you to listen to my podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, uh, so I, and, and I, 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 I'm going to repeat some information, but oh, it's okay. I just feel like if, if you can, if one can get out of their own way and be totally present in an audition and just do what you set out to do and have the mindset of I'm going to do the best I can right now, be totally present and, and give the best version of everything that I've worked on. If they get it, fantastic. If they don't, I'm on to the next. It's cool. And once you just embody that energy, you're going to be unstoppable. Jeremy Piven, this has been a master class in life, acting, stand-up, everything. You're an amazing man. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't recording, so we have to do it all again, but that's okay. <laughs> As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, and if you like the show, tell all your friends, and if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out of my All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Fortune Fortune 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.